Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, welcome to Horse Hour. I'm Amy Stevenson, and today is all about show jumping. I talked to Jay Hallin, who's an international show jumper who's flown all over the world competing. He also backs and produces his own show jumping horses, which he then sells on. And he blogs for Horse and Country TV. Now, Jay is known for being brutally honest with his opinions. This is Horse Hour. Welcome to an episode of Horse Hour. Today we're talking to the lovely Jay Hallam. He is national champion. Is that right, Jay? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Winter champion at the moment, yes. Winter champion. Amazing. And you've, you're an international rider and uh, you've represented Great Britain. But you, there's a rumour that you could be going to the dark side. Well, I wouldn't really call it a dark side. Um, yeah, I have, um, I'm quite fortunate. My father is Turkish and I have the chance to ride for another nation, um, yeah. which is obviously, you know, I'm half English and half Turkish. So I think it's a natural progression for me to maybe uh, ride for Turkey. I think it can open hopefully a few doors for me and hopefully create some opportunities yeah it'd be amazing yeah and absolutely and the the, the the other thing is i think it will help me get into some of the bigger shows because what happens at the international competitions that they will allow spaces for so many foreign riders so if i'm going as a british rider obviously there are lots and lots of people going and unless you're really high in the rankings it's then quite hard to get into the show so i feel like i would have more opportunities to get into the bigger shows and uh hopefully get a little bit closer to that olympic dream of mine so yeah yeah we'll see what happens it makes sense though so it's not just that you want to represent turkey it's because it will get you further because interestingly my brother had a very similar experience through rugby so yeah. we're part english we're part welsh some of our family are from wales and so he played for england for a while but actually he wasn't making it up the ranks quick enough so he went over to wales and he had he was put in a much better position and he was actually the top top uh, fly half for wales but he was only going to make it as the top four win the top four for england yeah you yeah, know no, this kind of a little bit like me where you know even though at the moment i'm kind of the winter champion and and stuff like that i feel like i'm also going to be put in a position where i get more exposure and it, you know it's still every day is a school day in this game and it's going to be a massive learning curve for me but i feel like i'm going to be like your brother put in a better position to improve and everything else with it so does that mean you can still be based in the uk yeah absolutely i'd still have an english passport i just have two passports yeah but your horses you can still work from here and your horses are kept here and your training and everything can still be done here you don't have to move there yeah no no not at all great because we don't want to lose you oh yeah well it's kind of this is home for me now and having just bought a farm and everything i feel pretty settled so yes oh that's exciting when did you buy your farm back in october last year Hmm. I've been renting for, oh gosh, about 13 years um, yeah. and the time had come and I had an investor that uh, helped me obviously because sadly this game doesn't earn you lots of money. Hmm. Um, so, but after, you know, paying out on rent for 
so many years, it was time to take a leap of faith. And to be honest, it's kind of all or nothing now. So we're um, giving it our all and, and hopefully, yeah, Shilton Edge Farm is a, is a great place and there's lots of work to do. But I mean, some people would already say it's amazing, but um, it's not where I want it yet. Mm. Because we can hear work going on in the background at the moment. What what are they doing? Well, we're not doing work work. We're actually, uh, <laughs> we're, we're near a flight path, which doesn't go over us, but it comes in front of us. Oh. So, we, so if I sit at the back of my house where I am now, I can watch the planes taking off and landing, which is quite nice. <laughs> um, but no, there's all sorts that needs to be done here. Um, I want to put a new arena. We've got an indoor arena already. Uh, I need to add more stables. Uh, we've got we bought a walker, but it's just going to go up. A serious amount of landscaping. I mean, you know, the list goes on and on. But it's just finally, you know, great to have a place that's actually mine. Yeah, absolutely. What's planning permission like to get planning to build things there? Is it tough? Because um, where we are in Dorset, oh, good luck trying to get planning permission for anything. There's only one indoor school within like a 25 mile radius. Oh, well, luckily, I'm on an old part of the airfield and there's lots of existing buildings and concrete pads. And to be honest, what I need to build doesn't really change anything. Mm. It's more like improving. So even though we are in the Cotswolds on Oxfordshire uh, District Council um, and I'm literally in the middle of nowhere, as in... I have nobody around me bar a stud, uh, so I'm in the middle of a stud with lots of horses around me, so it doesn't affect anybody, so I'm hoping um, the planning concept is uh, absolutely fine. Oh, amazing. So you're an international show jumper. What made you choose show jumping over the other disciplines? Well, actually, I had a turn eventing for a while. I yeah. started off show jumping, and I previously rode for Tina and Graham Fletcher, for about five years and when I left riding for them I set up a little yard of my own and I kind of had to diversify a little bit just to ride whatever I could ride and one of the first things I did was actually one of the Burley Young Event Horse classes on on an owner's horse which I've won. Oh amazing. Which was quite good and I kind of quickly realised there was a little bit of a niche in producing young event horses. Uh, the horse I actually qualified for Burley was, it was a really sweet horse, but it wasn't probably, it was probably the least talented horse I've ever ridden. Mm. And I was thinking, gosh, if I can do this with nice horses, there's a market here. So I actually went on to qualify in quite a few for Burley for the young event horse final. I was lucky enough to win it one year. Um, I think I'm the, the person that's qualified, I think we had four or five in one final which is the most anybody's ever qualified oh, in wow. one year and I kind of started then doing a little bit of pre-novice and novice eventing you know to produce the horses and get them sold and actually a couple of rides came my way and I went from novice to three star in one season and I was fifth at Bramham in the three star and then over the next couple of years, I did Blenheim. I was actually qualified for badminton twice. I did the World Cup, few of the World Cup series. So I, I kind of went off into the eventing uh, side of it. Mm. Um, and then it's kind of just been a natural progression back to show jumping. I, I, I love show jumping. I, I love eventing as well. But I think with the, the cost of eventing, it just doesn't add up to run it as a business, to be honest. I'm hearing this more and more from speaking to eventers as well that, you know, that, that I don't want to say they're struggling because that's not fair, but but because they're they're very successful. Well, we all are. We all are. Even in even in this, you know, this my chosen sport. Now I'm still producing. You know, I have a breeding project. I'm still producing young event horses. Now to this day, I'm not necessarily going out eventing with them, but I'm producing them to go eventing because you have to do what you can to to make money. And obviously, mm. you know, I've ridden at a high level in eventing, so I know what the, the, the horses need to have as good qualities. I've been fortunate enough to be involved in Grand Prix level dressage at a very high level. I've done some riding for the Betchelsheimer family for the last few years and Laura is actually one of my 
close, close friends. So I, I, I actually have a, a very good knowledge of all three disciplines yeah. at a very, very high level. And I'm trying to put that into the young horses that I'm producing. And, you know, the, the way that the sport of eventing is going... I'm, I'm, I'm not, I kind of worry about the future of it, to be honest. Um, and so going back to the show jumping was just a natural progression. I had a couple of jumpers on the yard. I started jumping a few of the bigger Grand Prix and really got the, you know, the bug for it. And then, you know, when you go and you do well and you come back with thousands to, you know, going eventing and win, winning a pink head collar and lead race, it doesn't really relate, you know, when you're trying to run some form of business. No, absolutely. Just going back to what you said about how it's changed and, and you're worried about the future of it. How has it changed since when you started? Well, I mean, it seems like there are a lot more deaths in the sport. Mm. You know, I kind of don't want to be all doom and gloom about it because there is so much that I love about the sport. And I don't, don't know the answer to how, how you can stop this. But, uh, you know, I can't see it being an, an Olympic sport you know, in years to come. I don't think they can run an Olympic sport where people can potentially die. Mm. You know, people may disagree with me, but I just can't see where it's going to go. I think the new format of what they're doing with making the cross-country courses shorter and show jumping at first, like a CIC format like Barbary Castle, I think might be a way of making it a little bit safer, which then requires a slightly different course. But, um, yeah, I, I, I just... I just worry about the sport actually moving forward where it is because I don't think there's a a massive answer to the way cross-country jumps are being built and I think people always kind of try to blame that Mm. and I think also I'm going to kind of put my neck out on the line for saying this I think that there's a lot of people going cross-country that need either more tuition or need to be more qualified I mean even, again, I'm going to stick my neck on the line, I watched some of badminton on the red button this year, I thought there was some atrocious riding, and although I haven't ridden around badminton myself, I, um, I was very surprised to see how bad the average ones, you know, the good ones are great, mm. and the, you know, they always will be, but I think they kind of look like statistics, I think it's, I, I, it, it scares me a little bit. It seems that there's, a, you know, from someone, from outsiders, as it were, that there's a lot more money in show jumping and a lot more money to win, a lot more money to buy the horses and, a, and almost more money pumped into the actual discipline than there is eventing. Is that the case? Um, oh, listen, at the, at, you know, you're competing against some of the richest people in the world. Mm. Yes and no, yes and no. I mean... I've not got uh, fortunes behind me and I'm very much doing it on a shoestring and so are a lot of people who are doing it at a very high level. I think talent at the top always shines through and I think even these people who kind of are in a fortunate enough position to buy the best horses, they're still doing the job on the day. And I think people are a little bit quick sometimes to say, oh, well, they would do well because they've got a good horse. But, you know, good horses make good riders. Yeah, of course. As the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> I just wonder if, if more money was put into eventing, maybe it would be safer. Maybe it would be more achievable to make money from it as a business i think that i think that we need to definitely with the i'm not saying with like the fei for the international how you can upgrade through you know from one star to two star and so on and so on i think i think that they actually need riders need to be qualified and be assessed correctly before going up the levels Right, I yeah. think that would help, and I know that this happens in France and other countries. I think that that would be, you know, because at the end of the day, you could be a fairly average rider um, with uh, the opportunity to buy fairly nice horses, and you can still get up the levels pretty quickly. Mm. Is it different in show jumping then? How do you get up the levels in show jumping? I mean, again, if you're in a fortunate enough position to have the money to go and buy good horses, like I say, if you're sat on good horses, it, it can make you a good rider. So you can, 
you can buy your way in if you want. I think, you know, at the end of the day, talent talent does shine through in the end. And, you know, if you are not particularly talented and you've got good horses, it comes to a point where actually you do need to be a good rider. But mm-hmm. the difference is in show jumping, people don't get killed. Yes. You know, and that is the big difference. And even from a, from a lower level, you know, we were at a local show yesterday, which is 15 minutes down the road from us, and we're at another local show tomorrow. I can take a lorry full of young horses, whether it's a four-year-old to an eight-year-old, to jump from British novice to a metre 30, and they can cover their expenses at least for the day. Mm. Where eventing, you can take a lorry load of pre-novice horses or novice horses, and you don't get remotely anywhere near what it's cost to you know getting getting your money back and that's only if you win Mm. so you know it's um it's a completely different level and you know the the entry fees are obviously significantly higher for the uh for the eventing as well are they that surprises me the last time i looked at to enter pre-novice is about 130 or 150 pounds or something where you can go and jump around the newcomers for 20 pounds (laughs) yeah and, and do it more frequently. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's a big difference. So let's say we don't have loads of money behind us. We're doing it how you are, which is just working your backside off and being an exceptional rider. How do you make it up the ranks in show jumping going the, the more normal way, I like to think of it? Just producing, selling. I mean, I'm desperately... I mean, even though I've got lots of horses around, I'm desperately short of horses. I've got not enough depth to my team at all. So it's just, you know... You know, it's a hard thing to answer, isn't it? You kind of have to create a journey and stick to it and hope that it works out, really. And if it doesn't, know that you can alter it on the way. You know, we've I've just had a lovely young horse that's come in for me to ride for a little bit and the opportunity um, has come along that somebody wants to buy it and the horse is more than good enough to stay on the yard for me to produce and I think actually potentially a really really good horse Mm. but I can make a little bit of money from selling it which I need to put back into the farm to make the facilities better to get more clients so you know sometimes you do have to let the good ones go and sell a few and you know it's tough I don't want to say I you know I wouldn't want to sell that horse if money wasn't an option I would have it bought and keep it myself mm. but you know sometimes you just have to be able to make a little bit of money and well, you got to do what you got to do haven't you to keep going yeah absolutely and it's hard because you know I do have to sell the odd horse or two to to rely on paying for things and I have to sell, you know, a couple of my good ones on the way as well. I'm in a position which is, I suppose, a lucky position that a couple of my good horses are my own, but I will have to sell them and it's, uh, it's really tough because I also want to be at the top of my game. And having, you know, selling those horses means that I'm not going to be at the top of my game. But I need to improve my facilities. I've got bills to pay like everybody else. Mm. And, you know, that's that's what you have to do to try and keep kind of clawing your way up to the top. It can't be easy running a full-time business. You know, you've got you've got to train the horses. You've got, to, you've got staff, I should imagine, that you've got to look after. And they're, you know, you're responsible for them as well. So there's a lot of pressure for that. But have you gone into breeding now too? Yeah, I've been breeding over the last six years now. A bit more of a passion. I've been quite lucky. We've had some really nice young stock that I've had already. We've already had one at Burnley in the Young Horse Final. We've sold one to Ireland to a a team rider who's an eventer. I've got another couple that are kind of ready to go now that I'm, you know, just waiting to hopefully match them up with the right people. It's a bit of a guilty pleasure. Um, (laughs) why is that why is it a guilty pleasure well because all of the one all of the mares that i've bred from are mares that i've competed that are good quality mares that have ended up retiring for certain reasons one way or another and i always loved the girl you know the mares bits and you know breeding horses this is is a really expensive game and the market for horses 
doesn't always add up to what it costs to breeding them. You know, it's it's really interesting. And now that I'm kind of in my sixth year of breeding, I can't understand how people can sell horses that are produced and going for say under ten thousand. The price of even a normal horse hasn't gone up in reflection to what it costs to get a normal horse mm. to that level. You know, like my young young horses, when you see horses advertised for five and six thousand, I can't even breed mine for that. And I you know, and I use my own stallion and my own mares and they cost me more than that by the time they're four. So I don't understand how people can be then selling horses that are produced for you know that kind of money so what what kind of money do they go for that you know proper proper professional bred to compete horses well they can go for i mean how big is your checkbook it can go (laughs) for anything but you know for me i with my breeding i've bred from mares that i've competed they're all x-rayed the mares uh the stallions are obviously all graded and x-rayed which obviously helps because you've got less chance of them having issues if the mares have got clean x-rays and stuff there's less chances of them having hereditary problems you know and they're out of competition horses and i've tried to breed movement and jump Mm-hmm. with all of them so they're not just go jumpers they could be event horses they could be dressage horses they generally all have got good confirmation uh, i've been fortunate enough that, that none of them have been ugly <laughs> oh no we want a pretty one <laughs> yeah exactly so i'm trying to kind of breed a good sports horse as a type rather than you know because if you breed a jumper that's a bit of a lump and it doesn't move if it's not going to jump well enough what's it going to do what's Mm. it going to be and i think that you know all modern day sports horses now are a little bit blood and they all move and they all jump you know quite a lot of those good good sports horses could do any job yeah i just ask about the price because it seems to me like the racing industry they go for millions you get a yearling that's like and I just I can't understand I'm trying to work out why one discipline goes for so much more money than others when ultimately they're they're all bred to do their discipline yeah I just think that you racing in my eyes is non-comparable the cost of running them you know the racehorse trainers make money from them transporting to competitions and stuff like that like you know we don't make money from transporting all the horses obviously there's fuel costs and stuff but Mm. we don't actually make money like horse transporters do as in the racing game and the money that people bet on them and stuff like that it's just i don't even i don't think that you can remotely put the you know racing remotely close to any other equestrian discipline Mm. because of the the betting and everything else that goes on and it's so commercial it's on television all the time you know it's it's a big deal where you know really the dressage and the eventing and the show jumping are are pretty minor sports in comparison i know i don't understand it wouldn't it be amazing if we could actually watch it on tv it would be it would be but the problem is you know it's sad that they've lost the broadcasting and stuff like that but it's also the sports fault i think because it hasn't moved forward enough with the times they're going to probably say another controversial thing which people may or may just you know may agree or disagree with me but if you you know i love all equestrian disciplines you know i could sit and watch dressage or eventing or show jumping if it's done really well i love watching it but you try sitting and watching a whole set of Grand Prix dressage horses do the Grand Prix mm. or the whole day at badminton or if you watch a show jumping and you watch the Nations Cup. I mean, it is. It's boring at the end. It, you know, it goes on for too long and therefore nobody is going to turn over and sit and watch a whole of a Nations Cup on television so therefore, why why should they show it? Oh, well, I think they're missing a trick. Because I think if... if, if 
I do like having free TV. Yeah, I really agree with that. However, I would pay, I'd pay a fiver to watch something on TV and to get to watch the whole thing because the little bits that they do show, they miss so much of the good quality. It's almost like they need equestrians to film it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, FBI TV are doing quite a bit now. And it's quite interesting, actually. In Germany, they have a channel called Clip My Horse, which is um, you pay a subscription and they literally film every international in most disciplines in Germany. Mm. And you can, you know, there's somebody there filming it all the time. So you can switch on or if there's a particular class or a particular horse you want to watch, you can log back and and watch it and stuff and I think that that's quite a good system mm. but as as it goes to kind of normal terrestrial TV I think people like watching say the Hickstead Derby in show jumping or they like watching a presence but what they don't want to do is sit and watch a Nations Cup where all the riders go twice and you know it's just a bit repetitive they want to see you know thrills and spills and a, and a speed class or something like that or a jump off they don't want to see the boring bit of the first round necessary and yeah, necessarily that's true. and mm. i think that's what you know i it's really interesting you know i've done kind of a few presence classes and i got jumping at horse the year show i got more say Facebook followers and more recognition for jumping the puissance at Horse of the Year show than winning Grand Prix. Really? You know, I, oh, I had two or three thousand friend requests on Facebook. My All my social media ratings went up. And, you know, people love watching the puissance. And I don't get why people, you know, the TV companies and the shows don't put classes on that people are going to engage and want to watch i know it's not the, a true representation of the sport but it does get people interested and it might get further sponsorship and more people into the sport yeah would you mind just explaining what a puissance is a puissance is uh, a competition where it's basically a high jump competition yeah. for horse and rider and it gets bigger and bigger and it's you have uh, the wall down it's normally always over a wall so it's a big wall and it's run over five rounds generally and yeah you basically it just gets bigger and bigger <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the last man standing wins generally <laughs> and how did you do when you did the pre-presence how do you say it presence presence yeah i've won a couple the one at the horse of year show i was fourth i think i can't remember where i was uh, i got to the last round and my horse had done enough he actually had a bit of an overreach the round before and he was saying no from quite a long way out i think by that time it was two meters 18 oh, he jumped wow. two meters 10 quite well but the you know the highs and lows of the sport is if he had jumped it and had a go and knocked it down I would have won £5,000. Gosh. And because I retired after him stopping it at once, kind of to do right by the horse, I got about 700 quid. Mm. So, I mean, you know, I've jumped many classes where kind of if I had to jump that one particular fence, I mean, that one particular fence has cost me thousands of pounds, which is sometimes very frustrating. Yeah, I can see why it's frustrating. But one, you did the best thing by the horse, which is amazing. Because is there a risk then of, of having that money on that one fence that people will need that money so much that they maybe push their horses too too far just to get yeah, the money? Yeah, I think, I think the professionals know sometimes when it's time to call it, call it a day. You know, it, they're not machines and neither are we. And I think generally, you know, all the level riders love their horses and, you know, they're treated like kings on their yards and stuff. And I think generally people always try and do right by their horses. I know I try to. It's nice to hear that you're so down to earth, Jay, because there is a, a persona of the show jumping world that it's not that down to earth because it is the sport of kings, you know, it is the people that have lots of money to put into it. Do you find that when you're out? To be honest, no, not really. You know, growing up, because I've always had to really work so hard, I think when I was younger, I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder because you'd see people that kind of you could see that didn't really want to do it but the parents had the money for them to do it and mm -hmm. I was kind of just so desperate to be successful 
But I, I think kind of as you grow. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Up and mature, you become more gracious, and kind of you ha- you just appreciate the good times a little bit more when when you do have them. And you know, I'm just somebody that's trying to be the best I can be. And you know, I think being gracious sometimes is the, the you know one of those qualities in being the best best you can be. And you know, it, there's so many highs and lows in this sport that. It kind of it does mold you as a person as well. What would you say is the highest point that you've had so far? You've been your, what's been your best experience? Oh, I've just I've just too many, too many, <laughs> to even too many. You know, I was talking to somebody about this actually just recently, and all I wanted to do when I was growing up, even when I was at school, was to work with horses. Mm. And this person said to me, "At what point did you say I want to be a professional show jumper?" And I actually. I always loved jumping. I had kind of pony, horse and pony magazine pictures on my wall growing up with Jeff Billington and John Whittaker and Michael Whittaker and, you know, all of the greats in show jumping. And I just always want, you know, it was just a dream, you know, just a dream to even work with horses. And then I was lucky enough to ride for two, you know, former Olympians and then make a business out of it myself. And now those people that... Um, I had on my bedroom wall as a child are my fellow competitors I've beaten them, I'm friends with them (laughs) and it's it's an amazing amazing thing to do you know, it's an amazing sport for me to have grown up as a kid now be competing against my idols and that's what for me is amazing I think the thing with me as a personality and the thing that keeps me moving forward is that it's never enough. And I think that that's my drive. You know, I didn't think that I was going to be the best in the country or jump at Horse the Year show or jump at Hickstead when I was a kid or, you know, compete internationally. And I'm fortunate enough now that I've got myself to that position. And, you know, it's nice and it's lovely so winning the blue chip grand prix at the national championships at the winter championships back in march and it was you know a nice milestone but it's not enough for me i want more (laughs) i want to be in the championships and Mm. and i won't settle and to be honest when i'm there and if i'm lucky enough to get to championships and do all of that it won't be enough until i win it and when i do win it it won't be enough till i win it again (laughs) you know and that's 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 my drive and maybe maybe I'm going to be that person that it's never enough and I do have to sometimes give myself a little bit of a slap and say you are living your dream you've lived you're you know you're living your dream and you know sometimes you have to settle for that but I'm I'm not I'm definitely not ready to settle for that I've got far more up my sleeve that I want to, to do and far more wishes and everything else so 
yeah, I've just got to keep pushing. And um... so it sounds like then there was never really a plan B. It was that was what you wanted to do, and you, and you just went for it. So even... absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> I I did not doubt for a moment what I wanted to do. I was going to work with horses come hook or crook. It was going to happen when I was at school. I was my attendance rate was horrendous because I was always riding horses. <laughs> my poor parents probably would put, be put in prison if I was at school at, in, no. this, at these times. <laughs> but no, it was just something inbuilt in me. And I mean, my father is um, a mechanic by trade, and my mother does cleaning and kind of all sorts for for money. You know, I'm from a completely non-horsey family, mm. like literally. That you know, nobody in my family understands horses and still doesn't, you know, doesn't really understand horses now. But you know, it's my own drive and it's everything I've done myself, so you know, I have to be proud of that. But sometimes I can forget that also. No, oh, absolutely. But they've they've always supported you, I guess. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, they've done their absolute best by me. But when you're growing up and you want to succeed it's never enough isn't it and I think my poor parents would have probably pulled their hair out <laughs> by a rat attack when I was younger that I didn't have the best saddle or you know I went to my first international show in a horse trailer that was borrowed and I slept in the trailer for the week Hmm. you know when all of my friends are in their lovely horse boxes with their lovely expensive horses but, uh, you know, hopefully that will bode me well in later life. And, well, it has, I suppose. I like that about you, Jay, though, because, that you know, it's very easy in that it's very easy to get resentful of what other people have. And, and you haven't. You've just got your head down, kept going and just, you know, really, really worked hard and you've done it. And yeah. even though you've always got the next thing that you want, which is is actually the basis of an entrepreneur anyway, is that they always want something more. That's the drive that you said will keep you going. But that just makes you into quite a humble person as well. You, you just you never settle with, OK, well, that's that's enough. I've done it now. Yeah, well, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm trying to stick on those theories and, you know, you try, like I say, you just try and be the best you can all the time. But have there been any moments, because, I, you know, there's been so many times when I've ridden and, and it's all gone horribly wrong and I know that you've got to get on with it and the next day you've just got to keep going. But sometimes it's really hard. You know, sometimes there are days when you think, how how much can I put into this? Yeah, I've got to say, I mean, I don't think I'm... I obviously have a talent. Um, I don't think I'm. I don't think I was ever the world's best rider when I was young and growing up. I was very good at getting on horses and getting a tune out of them to a level. And even the time I was at Tina and Graham Fletcher's, I worked so hard on it. And I, I mean, having not jumped at a high level, but I'd done a few bigger competitions before I went there, they kind of stripped me back everything I thought I knew. And then I had to start again, basically. And I would ride kind of anything up to nearly 10 horses a day. And I would canter. I lost my eye for stride so badly that I would canter every horse that I was riding, whether it was a four-year-old or one of the old grey days, over poles all the time to try and train my eye to see a better stride. And I would sometimes not even be able to canter to a polo on the floor. And I would I would be crying riding, literally. I just, I, I just can't get it. I just can't get it. And I would, you know... Although I was lucky enough to have them around and support me and hopefully push me in the direction, I I worked my ass off for it and I I wasn't the most natural and I've you know I've pushed myself and uh, um, I am a true believer. Obviously, there is some ability in there for me to be doing what I'm doing Mm. but I've also worked really hard on it there are a lot of people out there who are naturally just amazing riders but don't have any work ethic or or whatever where I would say that I was one of those probably more normal riders that's just worked really hard at getting better Mm. yeah did you have a mentor at the time uh well I mean uh, when I was at Tina and Graham's they were they were around but 
after that, actually, you know, because obviously you're riding and horses are for sale, there's a fair amount of pressure, which I, I had to take. And I'm not sure if it was always the right thing for me. And when I set up on my own, I remember jumping a couple of horses on my own at my own place and nobody being there. And it's just like one day the penny dropped and I was like, I get it now. <laughs> I get it now. I can do this. And it's like, literally, I never looked back from that day. And I remember, actually, it was just in, I had a little 20 by 40 uh, sand and rubber school. And I remember jumping one. And I, like, literally, I was so inconsistent still at that time with my strides to a fence. And it just, like, the penny dropped. And that was that. I've literally never looked back since then. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, I've you know, even now I don't have anybody that I have any help from. I always video myself and watch my rounds. You know, I've got obviously friends that are professionals that I speak to quite a bit or, you know, it's really interesting at a kind of a level. People are willing to help each other. You know, if I'm at a show and I've jumped one and I was like, oh, I think I made a bit of a mistake or I'm not quite sure, you know, somebody is very willing to say oh you just need to keep them a little bit further away from the fence or you just need to sit up a little bit more and it's just it's fine tweaking but like issues but actually it can really get like you know at top level people are kind of there for you quite a bit it's quite you know everybody wants to see people do well i think that's really nice it's really lovely to hear and i love the fact that you film yourself because i did that once and everyone laughed at me <laughs> I was like, no, but I can't. You need to be able to see yourself on the ground because you can actually learn so much from from watching your horse and you ride the horse, can't you? Absolutely. I mean, we try and film nearly every round I ever jump on the horse. A, because it's always good to have that evidence of the horse jumping well if it comes to selling it. <laughs> yeah. And B, I just think it's always good just to see what they look like from the floor sometimes, see what I look like from the floor. Yeah, it, it's just quite good. Or if I felt something that wasn't quite right, I can look on the video and say, actually, it's fine. And I was kind of being oversensitive as a rider. Or, you know, if I've made a monumental mistake, I can see where I've made a mistake and try and do better the next time. Yeah, because I just remember, my, you know, my instructors always shouting things, you know, sit back, heels down, deep seat, da, da, da. And, and you know what they're saying and you know you think you have a vision in your head of what it's supposed to look like when you know the horse is going to the jump and after the jump and hold the horse's head up but until you see yourself you don't actually it's, it's so much easier to then really for it to be ingrained in your brain once you realize because yeah. you associate right that's what I look like that's what when the instructor said sit back that's what I need to do and it kind of sticks you have more of an understanding of it I think yeah absolutely absolutely I think videoing yourself is a really good thing especially if you've got kind of limited funds for tuition yeah yeah Absolutely. Um, so, well, you know, you're really lucky now. In, well, I say you're lucky. You've worked really hard for it. But you now have some great sponsors and you're an ambassador for Trez Health. I am, yeah. Which is absolutely. awesome. And the lovely Narveen, we spoke to her a few weeks ago. She she looks after you, doesn't she? Is she your physio? Yeah, Narveen's my physio. Yeah, I'm kind of going back to abbreviating on what I said earlier on. I'm trying to be the best that I can be. And I'm fortunate, I'm kind of very grateful to be an ambassador for Trey Health. Something, you know, my health and my fitness is actually something that's really important to me. The last couple of years, I have been trying to get fitter. I kind of go running and go to the gym and kind of try and eat the right things. Although I kind of have a cheese and pizza addiction. <laughs> I have been trying the rest of the time to eat, as, you know, eat as well as I can. But I was kind of very uneducated in, in the matter. And when I took up being ambassador of Trey Health, it's just been a massive learning curve for me. A huge learning curve from nutrition to physio, my PT. I've been having acupuncture. I've seen a sports psychologist. It's literally mind, body and soul. And I'm, I am really starting to kind of reap the rewards of it actually isn't it amazing how it all fits together it's like like you were saying about the pin dropping with your riding it's i feel it's the same with your your body you're an athlete your body they say your body's a temple and i know that's so cheesy but actually you've really got to look after yourself and that includes what you 
what you put inside, what you eat. Yeah, absolutely. My body was always a temple, but it was more like a bit of... We do, we need more energy. We eat more things. We think we need more food. But it's not until you actually see a nutritionist that says there's so much... Like, okay, for example, I saw a nutritionist the other day and I've got an addiction for coffee. Do you like coffee? Yes, I'm oh. on coffee rations at Oh, the Costa. Uh, coffee rations. Couldn't deal with that. Costa, I can't go a day. I have a Costa down the road on my way to work. I can't leave the house without yeah. getting a Costa. It's ridiculous. You need to drive, you need to, drive to work a different way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. But yeah, so the nutritionist said, well, why don't you exchange one coffee a day for fresh mint, hot water and a little teaspoon of sugar? And that'll give you, because I need it for energy as well, that'll give you oh, the energy I'm- that you need absolutely partial to a bit of fresh mint tea i love it it's amazing isn't it but it does make you hungry yeah no it does um no it's really interesting because i um was uh, you know i would say before i went to tray health i was going to the gym nearly every day sometimes twice a day i was doing weights in the morning sometimes running in the evening I wasn't sleeping particularly well. I was a little bit up and down all over the place. I kind of kind of sometimes felt a bit too tired and sometimes had too much energy and I was kind of a little bit high and low all the time, mm. just kind of on sugar level terms. And I think what I was doing, I was not eating the right portions on a day-to-day, not eating my three meals properly. And then I would eat and try and eat healthy, but I'd eat too much. Mm. Then I would have my snacks. And I think, and then I'd feel bad because I'd eaten so much, so I would exercise more. And I was getting more and more tired and then not being able to sleep. So when I went uh, and met the team at Trey Health, I, they basically just told me to stop what I was doing for a couple of weeks which was so hard i stopped going to the gym i stopped exercising and i just and funny enough after about four or five days i started sleeping really it's like my body just needed to come down i was just exhausting myself and running on adrenaline and i've seen the nutritionist a few times she actually suggested getting um, a blood test which the results showed that I was very, very low on B12. Yeah. Which is quite common because I'm also a vegetarian. Are you? And okay. have been for, since I was a young young guy. So it was really interesting. So, And I think that was a, ma- a massive part of it because I am motivated and I am busy. I was just fueling myself wrong because my body wasn't coping with the lack of B12 and everything else. Mm. Have you ever have you ever had a B12 injection? I've had a course. Since. Oh, how amazing are they? I had one. At, uh, yeah, I, uh, um, my mum has a hairdressing salon and Medi Spa in Sandbanks, and so the doctors came in with these B12 injections. And when you first hear about it, you think, "Are you for real? Do you hear of all these celebrities and everyone getting their B12?" And um, and I said, okay, well, let's see if it makes a difference. I felt like I've the best I felt ever after that injection. Yeah, no, I felt pretty good, but I think my levels were so low. It took a while to feel better. I think I had a quarter of four or five, mm. so uh, it was pretty low. And I've got to go for another test in another, another couple of weeks now. So uh, we'll see how it goes. But the interesting thing about the nutrition, Simone, uh, who's the nutritionist at Trey Health. The wonderful thing um, about Simone is that she's not been, um, you know, like, you cannot eat this. She's like, you know, you're a vegetarian. Eating out isn't easy if you're a vegetarian because they normally don't offer you great options generally Mm. if you eat out. And, you know, she said you have got to live and you have got to eat things that you like. It's just the rest of the time. And that's the thing that surprised me because I've made quite big changes, but even by buying different brands and so on with what I eat and notice such a difference, but she hasn't been like, you know, you can't have cheese or you can't ever have a pizza because, you know, it's quite unrealistic for me to be able to live like that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I can't eat bread. There's lots of foods I can't eat either. And so I've got a bread maker 
and you know, there's yeah. a bread maker get one of those that makes um fresh dough for your pizzas it's the best pizza i've ever had i've had one of those but <sighs> i've got a better compromise because I, I do my pizzas on just a, a salad wrap which is really light and it's got no dough so oh, nice. um, it's silly little <laughs> compromises like that but you know with trey health you know my nutritionist has been everything i've actually been working out less and having better physical results and Naveen, who you spoke to the other week is kind of slowly going through layers of kind of years of stiffness and stuff like that with me and i'm you know i'm really starting to feel great with the whole thing so you know i love working with the whole team and james the personal trainer is great he gets quite a bit of abuse from me when he's making me do things that i don't like doing but um he puts up with it but yeah you know and it be you know trying to be the best you can you know yesterday i got back from jumping six horses at a show and i was quite tired and a little you know just ready to sit down but i still managed to do 40 minutes exercise in the garden with the kettlebell and a broom and a skipping rope (laughs) you know so I'm, i'm trying to make myself do something pretty much most days but i'm also learning that when it's day off i am having a day off yeah yeah well, it's important to give your body a chance to recover i guess absolutely okay. apart from the stretching which is every it can be every day yeah <laughs> <laughs> you can never stretch enough and james is quite hot as well so it's not hard to do things for him is it <laughs> Oh, well, I mean, I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> no, but we saw, we did see a photo. His photo went viral, you and him, because I think he was teaching you how to do something and the women went crazy. Yeah, like- <laughs> yeah. He's um, he's quite unfortunate looking. I mean, it's, re- you know, hard, you know, for him to be like that, I suppose. <laughs> but, um, um, but you were also an ambassador for the Mark Davies Injured, Rider, uh, Injured Riders Fund. So yeah, how, how, do you, how do you help with them? Well, I've just I've I've done certain events with them to help them raise money. Um, I did a course walk at Hickstead last year. I'm doing another one actually in two weeks' time for them. Rosemary and Charlotte, uh, who help run the Mark Davis, they work so so hard, and it's something that kind of they're putting a lot of work in. There's not a massive team behind it. And to be honest, even just by being an uh, ambassador and trying to wear, you know, create a public profile for the charity is kind of the bit that I'm helping with the most. You know, they have other ambassadors. Actually, Stephen Wilde, the commentator, is an ambassador. And uh, Scott Brash is also, you know, there's, there's a few of us that are kind of behind the charity trying to push it forward and I just think it's great you know there's you know what we were saying earlier on about people falling off and hurting themselves and having accidents about around horses you know if they can put people in the right direction with maybe a little bit of funding or putting you know in the right direction for physio or treatment and stuff afterwards you know it, it's great what they do because they're an amazing support they don't just they, they do so much more the money actually goes into helping people that have been injured it's not just to, uh, you know not just putting them in the same direction they've they've provided wheelchairs they provided breathing equipment you they'll do whatever it takes to help you it's amazing absolutely and what people what people don't realize is that, that they you know the girls involved are working so incredibly hard and it's just you know i think because there are other charities it's just one that's not kind of getting put forward enough and you know they do so many great things i kind of really felt like i should get behind and try and offer them my you know whatever i can do to oh it's lovely on that note talking about injured riders what would you say your most important safety tip is your top safety tip there's something that that you would never ever ride without or do without doing you know be around horses without doing because some people wear hats when they're when they're bringing their horses in some people never go out without their body protector on is there anything that you always do i think you know what you've got to remember is whether it's your job or whether it's your hobby you know so many silly accidents can happen i i know somebody local to where i live that has been breaking in horses for you know his whole life and last year he had a kick to the head when lunging didn't know what happened 
And it took him a long time to get, you know, his memory back. Didn't have, he still doesn't have a great deal of memory. And he's a proper horseman. He, you know, he's been, a, you know, he, they do breeding and handles young stock. He's a really good nagsman. And um, it just, you know, it can happen to anyone at any time. It could be me, it could be you, you know, mm. and I just think you just have to keep your wits about you. And, you know, if you are, feel safer handling a horse in a hat then you know then so be it and I kind of don't think you should ever worry about what you look like or what have you I think you know safety is important absolutely we're seeing a lot of broken feet at the moment from people wearing flip-flops in the sun and then the horses standing on their feet oh it's okay, just so yeah. painful well, I'm probably not the best person to talk to because me and a couple of my girls are pretty much if we're on the yard we're in trainers which isn't really <laughs> suitable but um, it gets you around a little bit quicker so <laughs> not that I advise it no 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 <laughs> I wouldn't advise flip-flops either it looks the, the oh the pictures that I've seen are horrific and um, so what have you got coming up then Jay busy season ahead yeah but, uh, well not as busy because sadly my best horse um, Bart has been sidelined with a colic operation oh, no. um, but I have Bowlesworth next week, which is a four-star competition. And I have Hickstead the following week, which is the Derby show. Wow. Which one out of the two is the one that's most important to you? They both are. Are they? <laughs> I love both of them. They're both my favourite shows. So um, Nina Bowlesworth, who, uh, Nina Barber even, who runs and owns Bowlesworth, has done a great job. It's a relatively new show. And then Hicks did with the buns. It's just kind of, you know, it's a national treasure to show jumping. So mm. both are great and I love them both. So I, I couldn't split hairs between them. And then, so what do you do after that then? When you've done those two, do the horses get some time off? Yeah, I just need to regroup and see. My plan isn't to have is not to have a plan at the moment and, and go from there. Um, I'm I'm definitely well overdue a day or two off. Um, <laughs> so maybe when I get back, if the horses do, maybe I can. But the problem is, I'm leaving a yard full of horses at home that also need me. So it, there's no you know, no rest for the wicked. No, it's twenty four hours, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Jay. We can follow you on Twitter, can't we? Absolutely, yeah. Jay Tiger Hallam. um, And I have a Facebook page also. And you on Instagram? Yeah, I'm on Instagram also. Okay. So, uh, yeah, more the merrier. You're all welcome. I always feel a bit bad, actually, because people always go to my personal page on Facebook and I have literally about five thousand plus people <laughs> who have added me and i can't because i'm pretty maxed out so i set up a, a like page so oh I that's good pretty, pretty up to date with that so which one's that then which one the J J tiger hallam jake tiger hallam okay we'll follow you thank you jay good luck for bolsworth good luck for his hickstead can't wait to see how you get on thank you very much Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Next week, we're going technical. It's about embryo transfer and a little bit about breeding too. I speak to Camilla Scott from B&W Equine Vets. She's worked in Australia. She's worked in America. And now she's based herself in the UK. And she's one of the top embryo transfer vets that there is. So it was really interesting talking to Camilla because she does explain in detail what embryo transfer is. If you're thinking about breeding your mare, then what you need to be looking out for and also how to look after a pregnant mare because the first thing is they're pregnant for 11 months I didn't know that I thought it was like us they'd be pregnant for nine months but no it's 11 months and you have to obviously look after like you'd look after a human differently you need to look after a horse differently if they're pregnant too they need special care extra nutrients and Camilla fills us in in everything that a pregnant mare needs if you get five minutes head over to well actually I think you might need an hour if you head over to our website horse hour.co.uk we've got a whole education hub full of information if you've ever wondered about another discipline maybe you ride dressage but you're a little bit interested in show jumping there's some facts about show jumping there's also some great articles on on the health of your horse maybe you're worried about laminitis you don't know what it is or mud fever or even nutrition are you feeding your horse the right nutrients are they getting everything that they needed there's heaps of information on horsehour.co.uk of course 
course, you can always ask us any questions. Send us a tweet. I'm at Amy Stevenson one Horse Hours at Horse Hour, and I'll speak to you soon. You've been listening to Horse Hour. Join the community on Twitter, Mondays, 8 p.m. UK time, 3 p.m. Eastern, by using the hashtag HorseHour. Follow Amy at AmyStevenson1 and subscribe to us on Acast, iTunes, Stitcher and Player FM. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.